Lord, we thank you so much for just the opportunity for us to feast and graze in the gospel this morning, both in our Sunday school class, also just the blessing of partaking of communion. Um, We thank you for the presence of your spirit through the fellowship of your saints, through the preaching of your word, uh, through the elements. We ask, Lord, for Pastor Carlos as he's going to be delivering the word this morning, that you just fill him with your spirit. Bless all of our teachers that are teaching our children and adults. And uh, we pray, Father, that we would feast on you and find that honey uh, that you have for us in the good news. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name, our Savior. Amen. All right, I'm going to do a couple book giveaways, uh, but you've got to answer some questions. One is a gospel primer for Christians. So this is Pastor Milton's book. This is going to go to somebody who doesn't have this book. Um, And so what I'm asking for is, does anybody know what year did Pastor Milton start writing initial thoughts down on a three by five card that ended up being becoming the gospel primer? So you have to be able to tell me what year did this start? And he actually says it in chapter six in this book. It's a good guess. No cigar. Very good guess. 96. There's another guess. You're getting a little colder. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me try another question. Okay. It's 2001. 2001 is when he, um, first started being like, I got to do something. What am I, what am I doing here with my life? And the Lord just started opening up his eyes more to the gospel. Um, uh, in chapter six, don't look at your book. If you have a copy, anybody know what chapter six is about? It's the final chapter of the book. Um, anybody have any idea, any familiarity where you would know what chapter six is about? Of course, if I'd be preaching the choir, if you already have the book. Yeah, it's surprised by the gospel. Do you have a copy? Okay, you've already got a copy. But it is, yeah, it's surprised by the gospel, kind of like the story behind the gospel primer, which actually, um, if you guys have a copy of this, I'd encourage you to start with chapter six. Chapter six really helps you understand the whole idea for the rest of the book. Okay, who can tell me one person that he quotes other than the Bible in the gospel primer? Somebody who doesn't have this book. One person that he quotes. Spurgeon. He does not quote Spurgeon, at least in this book. I'll do I'll do multiple choice. Okay, does he quote Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., or Horatius Bonar? A, B, or C? Somebody just guess. Cause we get Martin Luther, no. Who said C? Do you have a copy? Oh, man. All right, we'll just... We'll, you don't, do you have a copy? Okay, we'll just go right here. Okay, that's all right. That's Horatius. So Horatius Bonar. Awesome quote. We're going to talk about it today. And then the final book, All of Grace, C.H. Spurgeon. This is really an amazing, amazing book. Um... So I'll ask a question that should you should be able to get the answer to. This is C. H. Spurgeon, who has, um, pr- out of all of human history, who has the most printed words in human history? 
C.A. Spurgeon. Yeah, do you have this book? Okay, so Molly gets the book. Okay, no, yeah, or you can pass it on to somebody else. Thank you. I, I didn't know that until about two weeks ago that C.H. Spurgeon has the most printed word of any human being in human history. 25 million words. It's crazy. That particular book <clears throat> had a million copies in his lifetime in many different languages. Um, so the Lord just used him and greatly. All right, so those are a couple books we'd really commend to you. Let's uh, get to our opening question. Is God's love unconditional? Is God's love unconditional? And this is going to kind of lead us into our topic. Who wants to venture a guess at this trick question? Is God's love unconditional? Yes, and you'd be half right. Who wants to give the other answer? No, and you'd be half right. So it is, God's love is unconditional in a sense. Let's see if I've got the, that's the Jerry Bridges one. Let me read you the Horatius Bonar quote. Um, He trusts them, that is his saints, to his love, not with a stinted or conditional love. He knows that there is nothing in heaven or earth so likely to produce holiness under the teaching of the spirit of holiness as the knowledge of his own free love. So Horatius Bonars basically is arguing that God's love is unconditional in the sense that it comes to us without conditions from us. There's no conditions uh, that we could possibly fulfill that would say, okay, now I'll love Mike Berry because Mike Berry has done this. Now I'll love him. On the other hand, it is conditional. And this is where we get to the Jerry Bridges quote in Discipline of Grace. He says, we must be careful that in preaching the gospel to ourselves, we do not preach a gospel without a cross. We must be careful that we do not rely on the so-called unconditional love of God without realizing that his love can only flow to us as a result of Christ's atoning death. And so the difference is, is some people speak of, they'll use this term of the absolute love of God. And that sounds like a positive term, right? But when they say absolute love of God, what they mean is, is that God loves us absolutely without any connection to anything else. He just loves us because he's just a loving guy. But the biblical doctrine is, is that God loves us because of Christ, because of what Christ did on the cross and his love for us rather than wrath for us spills out of the blood of Christ. And so there is a condition in that sense and really, it's that condition that makes God's love for us secure. One of the things I've been geeking out lately is, on, is, is the promises in the Bible of, from the Father to the Son. That the Father makes certain promises to his Son. And when the Father promises certain things to the Son, you just know that's going to happen, Right? And if we are in the Son through faith, as the Bible indicates, then those promises accrue to us as well. What's one of the promises of the, from the Father to the Son? Is the Father says, I'm going to put all your enemies under your feet. It's guaranteed that all of Christ's enemies will be underneath his feet. There's no possibility that won't happen. So that means Christ is the head of the body. Anybody that's truly part of the body will also participate in that promise. You've also got promises like just the fact, let's look at, I think it's Titus. 
Titus 1. Yeah, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Eternal life that was promised before time began. Who did God make a promise to before time began? Well, you and I weren't there. And so this is an inter-Trinitarian promise. This is a promise of the Father to the Son to grant eternal life to certain ones. And as we flesh that out through Ephesians and other places, it's he's granting eternal life to those that are in Christ. And so there's these, these promises that are made um, to Christ that that we can we can really bank on. And in that, in that sense, they're unconditional as long as they're connected to Christ and the cross. So again, the, the class is teaming up for evangelism. What we've talked about so far is we hit the God of the gospel and we spent quite a bit of time on Exodus 34. We hit the gospel as good news. And then this morning we're talking about grazing on the gospel. What does it really mean to graze on the gospel and how can we graze on the gospel? And I want you to open up to 1 Timothy 4 to kick this off. 1 Timothy 4. It's part of our contention here at Cornerstone is that the gospel is not just for the unbeliever, but it's for the believer and that believers need to be grazing on the gospel in order for us to, one, have food for our souls, to have proper motivations for holiness, proper motivations for gospel witness, and so on and so forth, that really all compulsion for religious life, all constrainment towards the right things come from us drinking in the good news for ourselves. And so let me just use an analogy, and then we'll read, part of first Timothy four, um, you know, this morning, um, or m many mornings I get up, I, I got a not so great cholesterol exam recently. And so I've been trying to eat my good oatmeal in the morning. Uh, but I go to McDonald's and I get the oatmeal that has some brown sugar in it and you can put all the fruit and it tastes decent. Right. And so I go and I eat my oatmeal and after I eat my oatmeal, my brain, I have to work really hard. I sit there and concentrate and I tell my esophagus to move it down to my stomach. And when it gets into my stomach, I concentrate as hard as I can to get it to break things down. And then I have to say certain things to myself to get it into my bloodstream, all the nutrients. And I have to, I don't know how I do it. I have to work so hard to get those nutrients through my bloodstream to the different parts of my body. And I'll tell you what, if I don't work hard enough on that, I'll just fall over dead. It's just, I don't know how I do it. Right. And I'm sure you're the same. Correct. Every day. No, no. What happens is I sit at McDonald's. I don't even think half the time when I'm eating. One of my problems with eating is I don't think, right. I just eat. That's why if you put a bunch of food on the table and I'm in conversation, like half hour later, everything's gone, right? So one of the keys for me is I just have to have a limited amount of food on the table. Otherwise, it's just gone in conversation. I don't think about it, but I just put food into my mouth. My mouth chews it. My mouth knows what to do. The saliva things happen, you know, the esophagus, things just go into my stomach. God sends all of these things throughout my body. And then I go out through my day 
And I don't even think about it. But then around 11, 12, 1 o'clock, all of a sudden to be like, whoa, I'm hungry. I'm hungry again. And so then I go looking for food, right? My body just tells me. I don't have to like, I never have a something on my timer. My phone doesn't ding to say eat. It's like my body just says, it's time to eat. These are all built-in things. And I want to propose to you that our feeding on Christ and, and the gospel works very much in the same way in the spiritual realm. Is we put God's word into us, and then the Holy Spirit has fodder to work with, and the Holy Spirit starts doing his thing. We put it in, we masticate, we meditate, and then the Holy Spirit will like start bringing things to mind. The Holy Spirit will start doing surgery on us and, and start correcting and reproving and start using God's word. The difference is, is when it comes to our physical natures, we tend to just, if we get hungry, we just eat. But spiritually, sometimes we get spiritually hungry and because of this little thing called remaining sin, and there's this thing in depravity, we're, we, we know that we have a new nature, but we also have this thing in us that's fighting against us. Sometimes we'll get spiritually hungry and we won't eat. It's really a weird phenomena. It's almost like um, sometimes we can be spiritually anorexic. We'll kind of like, we'll get hungry. And instead of eating the gospel that we need, we'll go off and we'll eat poison and we'll bring poison into our into our souls thinking that's going to satisfy and it just doesn't it just doesn't do it and so let's look for a moment here at first timothy one of the keys i'm convinced to brothers and sisters being more passionate in their evangelism is feeding regularly on the gospel for themselves and so notice what Paul says to this young pastor, Timothy. We'll just look at verse 13 for now. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and of the doctrine continue in them for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you okay so let's let's break this down a little bit i want to propose to you that part of what paul is commanding timothy to do is to be concerned about himself first and then about other people which sounds backwards to us we always hear that we want to think put others before ourselves Paul's telling Timothy to put himself first, that he can't help anybody until he helps himself. We have to think about this as parents, as teachers, as pastors. I know it, there can be this real temptation as a dad to want to see my kids really grow in Christ. I want to see them read the Bible. I want to see them get more holy. I want to see them be obedient. Meanwhile, I can be off on the side doing the exact opposite of what I want my kids to do. Right? I really want my kids to know Christ. They need to know Christ. And then I'm off feeding my soul with poison and junk food, but I'm really passionate about making sure my kids aren't playing too many video games. Right? 
No, we need to feed ourselves first. So look at verse 13. Uh, Till I come, give attention to what? Reading. Now, some people would say that this is talking about the public reading of the scripture. I think that might be the case. My, because of what comes later, I think he's talking right there about private reading of the scripture because of the emphasis on the individual feeding later. So, um, so give attention to reading. Give attention to exhortation. This would be preaching and counseling. Give attention to doctrine. So this would be teaching and studying. Do not neglect the gift. So he has the gift of being a pastor and evangelist that was uh, given by prophecy, land on the hands. We're not going to really get into that right here. But look at verse 15. Meditate. Really cultivate. Think about these things. And if you read through this chapter, these things is kind of a short form of the gospel. We see these things over in verse 6. Um, we see these things in verse 11. We see these things in verse 5. All of that is think about the good news of the gospel as opposed to other things that can get you sidetracked. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, not just a little bit to them, entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the teaching continue. So he keeps emphasizing that we need to give ourselves entirely to them. We need to read, exhort, study, let our progress be known, continue in them. The idea here that seems to be is that Timothy really needs to not just make gospel a hobby, to make gospel feeding a regular habit and a a, Um, Can I say like an addiction? Like what would be another word? Like an obsession, right? Be obsessed with feeding yourself on the gospel. Because if you get obsessed with feeding yourself on the gospel, guess what? You're going to save yourself. We we think he means more in the sanctification sense. You're going to find yourself growing in holiness. And that's going to allow you to save other people. Look at the end of verse 16. You will save both yourself and those who what? hear you. So your kids, the people you're trying to teach, the people you're evangelizing, you'll have the wherewithal to help them if you are feeding and getting obsessed with the gospel. Now, in context, I want you to notice it's really strange. You would think that the things that Paul would be really worried about as far as other obsessions would be things like what, like drugs, maybe lust, pornography, There'd be all kinds of things that people could get caught up in, right? What are the things that are going on that Timothy could get overly caught up in and that the Ephesians could get caught up in? Look back at verse four. Now, the spirit expressly says that in the latter times, I'm sorry, this is chapter four, verse one. um, Latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's a code word for the gospel. Giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. Okay, what's this doctrine of demons thing? Speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. This sounds really terrible. What's this anti-gospel demonic stuff? Verse three starts to tell us forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving uh, by those who believe and know the truth. That is the gospel. That's odd. And that seem odd to you. Here's the, here's the thing that you really need to be concerned about, Timothy. Here's the thing that's going to do some people in. 
their over-obsession with withholding themselves from marriage and withholding themselves from foods. What gives? Why in the world would Paul be talking about marriage and food? How is that going to keep people away from the gospel? Well, keep going. Verse 4, For every creature is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God. The word of God has said that we can eat all these creatures in prayer. So every creature is okay, as long as it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer, and everything is. So you instruct the brethren in these things, these things about the gospel. You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine, which you carefully follow. If you want to get nourished in the gospel, so we're talking about nourishment, don't get sidetracked with trivialities and don't let your people get sidetracked with trivialities. So part of what Paul's arguing is, is people can get sidetracked from their gospel feeding with things that don't seem all that bad, but really they're doctrines of demons to keep them away from Christ. What? Think about what happened in the early church. It wasn't too long before all of a sudden people were thinking, boy, I can be more holy if I don't get married. Boy, if I stay celibate and I I become a good celibate, maybe even I become a priest or a monk or a nun, boy, I can really please God. Boy, if I don't eat this food and that food and I don't eat this on Friday and I don't eat this, if I really regulate all the things that I'm putting into my body, I can be really godly. What? That can keep us away from Christ? But more than that, look at verse 7. Actually, verse 8. No, 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 verse 7. But reject profane and old wise uh, fables and exercise yourselves towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that is now and that which is to come. Now he's talking about bodily exercise. So think about the three things that Paul's worried that can take people away from the nourishment of the gospel. People thinking that celibacy will bring holiness, withholding themselves from marriage. People who think that withholding themselves from food will make them more godly. And people who think that bodily exercise is really super important. Think about what we're dealing with today. How much time do you have in any given day to give yourselves to things that are of eternal value, to nourish yourself and be obsessed with the gospel? And imagine people in the church who are obsessed with sex or lack of it, food and exercise. All they talk about is food. All they talk about is exercise or they're trying to withhold themselves in marriage or think they're more godly if they don't get married. There's all kinds of combinations of that. Paul calls that... Those are doctrines of demons that are keeping you away from true nourishment, which is the gospel. And think about just the world we're living in today. How many, how easy is it for us to get obsessed in so many little things? I only got to look at my heart, right? I just look at my heart. It was this last week. So we went out witnessing on Friday, Thursday night. I should be going to bed. I decide I'm going to flip through my Facebook feed. Just flip, 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 flip. About an hour later, I'm like, 60 minutes has gone by like that. Like it didn't even seem that long. 60 minutes of my life is gone and I haven't accomplished anything. And in that 60 minutes, guess what? I could have 
been nourishing myself on the gospel. Now, it's not like God, I want want to be careful. It's not like God's looking down and saying, oh, Mike Berry, I don't love you anymore because you just flipped through your Facebook feed for 60 minutes. You should be preparing to preach the gospel tomorrow. What are you doing? Right? I, 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 I realize what I've done. Lord, oh man, I shouldn't be doing this. Please help me. You know I'm weak. Help me get some sleep. Help me be ready to share the gospel tomorrow. Lord's like, done. I love answering prayers like that. I'm going to grant you humility. Here we go. But just think about all the little things. That's just like a little Facebook thing on my phone. Every time I turn around, there's some new obsession, a new idol I'm, I'm falling backwards into that can take me away from nourishing myself in the gospel. And then when I'm not getting nourished, guess what happens with my ability to feed others? If I'm not getting nourished myself and now I go out and try to feed other people, here's what happens. I start doing it out of guilt myself. And then I start heaping guilt on others by default. That's what I do. I don't know what would you do, but I'll go out and I'll feel, I'll just be doing it out of duty. And then I start losing energy and then pride will start kicking in. I'll start judging other people. And then I'll try to start motivating people out of a guilty conscience rather than out of the gospel. That's what happens when I'm not feeding myself with good gospel food. And it, it's not big things that can hinder us. It's little things, things about how we think about marriage, things like how we think about food. What do we think about exercise? Those things can hinder us from the ultimate nourishment. That is the gospel. So let's talk about over the next few minutes. How can we be nourishing ourselves? How can we get the word of God, the gospel in us? Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you poorly. Let just a little bit of Christ dwell in you. No, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're talking about, there's other synonyms for this, being full of the spirit, abiding in Christ. How do we do this abiding in Christ thing? Let me just warn us. This is not just another list of works for you to do in order to earn God's favor. This is how we remind ourselves of God's favor through Christ. And this is how we get the honey. We feed ourselves honey so we can share the honey. Okay, personal reading. Let's just start with personal reading. Verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading. I do personally think that he's telling Timothy to just give himself to personal reading of the scriptures because of what he says later, verse 15, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, take heed to yourself. <clears throat> There's a sense in which uh, Timothy needs to give himself to these things. And then you guys remember what Pastor Milton said last week about Timothy over in verse three or the next chap book, second Timothy three, uh, 14 and following, but you must continue in these things, which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned them from childhood. You've known the Holy scriptures. And so Timothy had learned the scriptures from childhood, continue to learn the scriptures, continue reading. Kevin DeYoung says this. If we learn to read the Bible into our hearts across the plot line of scripture out to the end of the story, up to the glory of God in the face of Christ, we will find that every bit of the Bible is profitable for us. 
Give yourself entirely to them. I think, brothers and sisters, that we need to pray that God will grant us an obsession with his word. That we just we just make it a priority. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to have my oatmeal. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to read my Bible. I want to get God's word into my heart so, and put it in the oven of my heart. So now it can burn and the Holy Spirit can start to do things with the fodder that's in my mind. If I'm not putting it in my mind, my mind goes all over the place. I don't know about, maybe I'm the only crazy one here, but when I give myself, I just watch an innocent two hour movie and then I go to bed just thinking about that movie and the actors, the actor's wife and, and all the different wives and husbands that they had in real life. And, and then my mind just starts going the plot line and why didn't they do it this way? And I love the cinematography here. All that's good stuff. It's not bad stuff, right? But then before you know it, my heart, that's like potato chips. It's junk food, right? I'm not, my soul isn't getting nourished on Christ. But when I go to bed, there's a lot of times I go to bed and I'll just have a sermon playing on my iPhone right next to me as I'm falling asleep. Or I'll have a verse I've been meditating on and I'll put it on repeat and it'll just like repeat and repeat as I'm falling asleep. Or sometimes I've got like a little memory device. I'm trying to remember something in scripture that I want to be able to think about and recall easily. Like say God is, um, <clears throat> you know, he's merciful, gracious, long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Um, I have the, these little acrostic things will help me remember that he keeps mercy with thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sins, by no means clearing the guilty. Yeah, I know those things because I'm thinking like, what's a little acrostic that will help me remember all those attributes of God? And what does it mean for God to be merciful? What does it mean for him to be gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth? If I'm thinking those kinds of thoughts as I'm falling asleep, man, it really helps. Man, I, I wake up sometimes, and I'm sure, brothers, you, I've heard your testimonies too. Sometimes I'll wake up in the morning with some crazy thought I've never thought of in my life. Some connection in scripture. I'll wake up and be like, I've never thought about that before. How did that happen? That's an amazing thought. I need to write that down. I need to do some research on this. The whole concept, I was listening to uh, Horatius Bonart. No, no. It was First Samuel 6 where Solomon is asking God to treat him according to the mercies and promises in David. All of a sudden I was like, whoa, whoa, what he wants to be treated according to the covenant of David. God's made promises to the second David, Jesus Christ. There's promises to Christ that I get in on because I'm in Christ. God doesn't just make promises to me. He makes promises to Christ and I'm in Christ. I'm like, I've never thought of that. I'm 51 years old. I've never thought of that before. I need to research that. What are all the promises that the father has made to the son as the ultimate David? So that you put more and more of God's word in your heart. The Holy Spirit will start making connections for you because he's the ultimate teacher, right? So you, you'll wake up sometimes. You'll be walking down the street, maybe some verse that you've been meditating on. All of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit will just say, hey, you ever thought about this? And you're like, no, I haven't. That's crazy. And it's, it's, not some, it's not some mystical thing. It's like you're just, God's word really is powerful. The gospel really is powerful. 
and the Holy Spirit starts helping you make these connections because you're not just like chewing on potato chips all the time, right? You're chewing on, you're nourishing yourself on Christ. So read the word. Secondly, hear the word. I've already kind of implied this. Hearing the word. Paul says to Timothy, to give yourself to reading, give yourself to exhortation and doctrine. So exhortation would be the idea that Timothy is to speak it. That implies that his audience is to hear it. And I just have to say as a pastor, I need to hear the word preached as much as you need to hear the word preached. Yeah, I get up and preach the word you know, on uh, Sunday school and when I have an opportunity at the pulpit. Um, but when I'm preparing my heart to come preach the word to you, I'm listening to sermon after sermon after sermon because I need to hear the word preached too. Faith comes by hearing, right? The word of God, hearing the word of God. And, um, and so it's an, it's an excellent exercise. I used to say, I, I was taught this when I was a young Christian. People would tell me, you know, all you need is the, is is to read your Bible. You don't need any commentaries. You don't need to hear any man preach the word. And that sounded good. Yeah, I just need the Bible. The problem is, is the Bible tells me I need pastors. The Bible says I need teachers. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And teachers are a gift of Christ to me, both living teachers and dead teachers. So one of my favorite living teachers is Pastor Milton. I go back, I hear him on Sundays but I go back and I listen to Pastor Milton's sermons online as well. And when I'm preparing to preach something, if I know Milton has touched on any area that's close to it, I'll go back and, and try to hear what he's preached. Uh, but one of my favorite dead preachers is Spurgeon, right? And these days you can hear people preach Spurgeon's sermons. You can go online and you can hear him. You can hear Horatius Bonar. You can hear Luther. These are people that, the Holy Spirit used in very special ways and they can give you what, what I found is like what Spurgeon does for me. Spurgeon knows the Bible like a maniac. He just bleeds Bible, right? Every sermon that he preaches, he's bringing these connections because the Lord just gave him this crazy mind partly. And he was so full of the spirit. Not only that, like he read six books a week and he remembered it all. He had perfect recall. And so he gives you, he's like a, a cliff notes to the Puritans. So he's, he, he feeds me the Puritans that would take me too long to read because I'm, I'm not that smart, right? I don't read very fast, but he like will just spoon feed me stuff in one sermon that would have taken me forever to figure out. And the Lord just gifted him. He's a gifted teacher. And so I would encourage you guys <clears throat> to take time to hear sermons on Sunday. It's one of the reasons why we should be here every Sunday, Lord, unless you're providentially hindered, to hear the word preached. And then just try to make it, instead of listening to some nonsense news, um, I'm not saying that news is all nonsense, but, you know, I can take a, I, I fast from the news. Like, I, I won't hear what's going on for a month. And then I finally turn it back on and it's the exact same stuff that was going on a month ago, just recycled, right? And I'll go talk to some of my news geek friends and I'm like, what's happening? And they tell me what's happening. I'm like, wasn't that happening a month ago? Yeah, but now it's a different person. I haven't missed anything, right? And I've gotten so much more Bible into my brain in the process. Listen to what uh, Westminster's shorter catechism says this. How is the word made effective to salvation? This is interesting. How is it 
that the word works for the salvation of people. Answer, the spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word as the effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and building them up in the holiness and comfort through the faith unto salvation. It's reading, but especially preaching. It's the foolishness of the message, what? Preached that God is saving sinners. And so we read the Bible, but we hear it, we get it into our brains. And then as we get it into our brains, um, we go out and we share it. And some of us go out and preach it. We herald it. And God uses that to save some, actually many. And then they're studying Paul tells Timothy to give yourself to reading exhortation and to doctrine. The idea there is, is instruction. So he's instructing, but he is also being instructed. In fact, he's being instructed right here by Paul. Uh, Paul later tells him in the next book to study, to show yourself approved. We see the Bereans in Acts 17, 11. We're studying. So give ourselves, yes, hear it. Yes, read it. But then study. One of the resolutions of, of Jonathan Edwards. Anybody ever read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions? Okay, a few. Okay, awesome. We need, we need to get more people reading Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. One of the things that he resolved to do was that when his mind would engage a scriptural problem would be to throw himself into that problem and study it as far as he could go to find a solution. You know those nagging problems? You come across a, a portion of scripture and you're like, what does that mean? Don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Well, let's go to the next verse. Now, it's, it's good to kind of tick some of those things off, right? You know, make a list of things that you want to solve that problem and go start studying. Go to commentaries. I'll, I'll tell you one place that's an excellent place to go is gotquestions.com. Gotquestions.com, some of the things that I would think wouldn't even be in there, like the Nethanim, it's in there. Like, like, who are the Cherethites? It's in there. And, and they've, there's so many amazing questions, and they have these nice, concise articles. And a lot of times they also have audio, so you can listen to it while you're driving around, and it helps you answer some of these questions that have been plaguing you. You're like, well, I, I don't understand God's sovereignty, human responsibilities, or somebody that can help me understand this. So go study. I'm not smart enough, nor do I have the time to become an expert in psychology, sociology, anthropology, physiology, etc. Um, forgive me if that's some of your guys' jobs. You know, obviously, if it's your job, you've got to study it. But God is infinitely wiser and has given me all things I need for life and godliness in the gospel, in his word. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may obey them. Deuteronomy 29, 29. God knows things that you and I just don't know. And if we'll give ourselves to his word into the gospel, we can learn things that we could never have known otherwise. He, he really is that smart. And I, I'm finding that out every day that there's something in the word that I just didn't know about that just amazes me. And so we want to study. Um, and then I'll have to, for sake of time, I'll, I'll send you guys the Bonar quote. I think I actually put it in the email I sent you guys. God's Way of Holiness. That'd be another great book for you guys. Um, is it in there? Yeah, you guys could read the quote on your own. Um, fourth, we can pray, meditate, and sing the gospel. 
as you guys are reading through the Bible, um, you can pray through the scriptures. I remember last year at the Shepherds Conference, um, John MacArthur got up and he preached on 1 Corinthians 9. And then I think it was at the end of the message that he prayed. And all it was was a prayer right through what he had just preached. And it was just an amazing prayer. And I remember one of the things that he prayed is that there would be no disqualified men in that room. Because the passage he was preaching on was about disqualification for ministry. And it was just an amazing kind of application of that text. And as you guys are, as you're studying the word of God, you can pray through different texts. Even if there's a text you don't understand, you can say, Lord, can you, will you help me understand this? Help me open up your word that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Um, you can get God's word into your mind by singing. We're going to be singing in a, in a few minutes for communion. One of the, the hymns that really impacted Pastor Milton as he was coming to this crisis of his faith and really delving more into the gospel was Jesus. I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee and thy beauty fills my soul for by thy transforming power. Thou hast made me whole. That's one of the hymns that he was meditating on as the gospel was getting deeper into his heart. And the hymn writers, many of the hymn writers that we have were pastors and they've written um, truths in simple ways so that the church can meditate on them and get them rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Should my zeal no longer know, no, right? Should my uh, tears forever flow. These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. These are just great meditations that help us grab onto the gospel and, and feed on it. I think it's, it's somewhat similar to, you know, if we wanted to, there's portions of the scripture as a younger believer that, are, they're true and, and they feed our souls, but sometimes they're kind of like eating carrots, raw carrots, or you're eating your raw broccoli and, and it's good for you, but you're kind of like, man, I'm, I'm having trouble really understanding everything that's going on in, in the book of numbers right now. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, but see what will happen is a good chef who's been gifted by God will come along and take that broccoli and put it in there, mix it in. Like I had at Panera yesterday. It's a nice broccoli cheddar soup, right? With a baguette on the side. Oh man, now I'm loving my broccoli, right? And you're eating it and you're getting some good nourishment. And that's what a, a good a good song can do. That's what a good uh, sermon can do. And, and then meditating. So don't just, we don't want to just read the Bible so we can say, okay, I checked off. I checked that off my list. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm up to my Bible reading. I'm reading through the Bible in a year and I've checked every day off this year. That can do nothing for us if we're not really meditating and, and just really crying out to the Lord to open up our hearts and to, and to do heart surgery. Let's talk about one last thing, and that is speaking. Exhortation. Paul uh, is, is giving, telling Timothy to give attention to himself and then he'll save not just himself, but those who hear him. I really believe that when we are getting filled up with the gospel ourselves, when we're feeding on Christ, what happens is there becomes a compulsion where you'll start doing things that will freak you out. 
I'm not saying that everybody in this room has the same gifts of speaking. Some of us, our gifts are more tending towards service. Some of us, our gifts tend more towards speaking. But what happens is when we start getting filled up with the love of Christ for us, that constrains us to do things that go beyond our natural abilities. And so you'll find yourself actually speaking out publicly for Christ in ways that will kind of freak you out. Um, there's, there's ways that I'm speaking for Christ now that go way beyond what I did as a younger Christian or what I've done when I've been eating spiritual poison and junk food. But it's like the more I drink in Christ's love for me, that unconditional love through his blood, the more I find this compulsion to where preaching the gospel is not just something I feel like I have to do. It's something I want to do. I'm not saying I wake up on Thursday or Friday mornings with this happy, happy, clappy attitude. A lot of times my alarm goes off in the morning and we're supposed to be out at UCR like Maybe I'll be meeting with a guy at 630 and then we're going to go to UCR at 730. A lot of times when the alarm first goes off, I'm thinking, am I sick? Is there some reason? Is there some excuse where I can just call this off? What can I do? Because there's something in our in our hearts, right, where we're not prone to do things that, you know, it's it's like working out, right? You don't always wake up every morning wanting to go lift weights and you don't always. But. It's like, Lord, help me. I just cry. I start with the gospel. My alarm goes off. I say, Lord, help me out. I, I need your help. I'm weak. Then the Lord helps me get out of bed. Lord, help me. Then he helps me get dressed. Right? It may sound weird, but yes, the Lord all along. And so just like Phil, Com- uh, not Phil Comfort, uh, Ray Comfort says, a lot of times I go out with my feet dragging, but I come back with my heels clicking. You go out, you preach the gospel to yourself first. Then you go out and you start preaching the gospel to others, and then you get the primary benefit. I really believe that sharing the gospel, when you go out and share the gospel, the primary benefit is for you, is the Holy Spirit feeds you as you're sharing the gospel. And then he's the one that will save people, not you. But even if nobody gets saved... The benefit is you went out and preached the gospel and by letting it flow through your mouth, you will feed. There'll be feeding that happens that goes beyond even the feeding in your own personal quiet times. Yes, you got to read the Bible. Yes, you need to pray for yourself. But then you get out and you start sharing and preaching the gospel. And this new level of communion starts to flow between you and the Lord, because you're, when you're out there trying to share the gospel with strangers or even I have a tougher time sharing the gospel with people I know. Um, but the Lord will will meet you and commune with you in a very special way. And then you get to rejoice and give thanks to him for his faithfulness. Is this making sense? All right. So go back. I know we ran through. I'm out of time. But the big idea here, if you don't get anything else, is feed yourself first and then the living water will flow, right? You got to eat the honey to share the honey. Eat the honey for yourself, and then you'll have something to share. If we don't feed ourselves, you're going to start giving people a falsified gospel that's going to come through a judgmental, guilty heart. And we don't want to do that, all right? We want to try to give people a gospel that's flowing out of a full heart, Um but even then, you can repent and the Lord will 
be gracious to you. But let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for just the, the many graces that you've given us uh, to help us. There's so many ways that we can come into contact and communion with you through reading, through hearing the word preached, through studying, meditating, praying, singing, and yes, opening up our mouths for the gospel. We pray, Father, that your spirit would compel us and constrain us to do these things, Lord, that we would find ourselves being, as we nourish ourselves on you, that there would be this holy brazenness that would come over us to do things that you command that go well beyond our own natural abilities. Uh, We pray, thank you, Lord, for the way that you've moved in our pastor, Pastor Milton, to help us better understand the gospel, help us through to share that living water, and we pray, Father, that we, we thank you for the many gifted evangelists that you've brought here to Cornerstone. We pray that you continue to bring us more and raise up more and help us to see that we're part of this team. I pray, Father, for February 22nd, we're going to need to, in upcoming classes, to start pairing people up. We pray, Father, that you bring many of us out to be able to go out and share the gospel for a few hours here in our community. And, uh, Lord, that we would be able to go out in boldness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.